Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of October 14th, 2023. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side, like most of you, I suppose, I can hardly bring myself to believe what is happening in Gaza, and I am in dread of what the coming day's headlines will bring. As we know, the Gaza Strip is under massive bombardment. A complete siege has been imposed. Electricity is being cut off. Civilians are trapped. Hundreds of thousands displaced. Hospitals at the point of collapse. Overwhelmed with thousands of wounded. Some hospitals have actually been evacuated already because the immediate area is coming under bombardment. And amid all of this, Israel has issued this monstrous, illegal warning for the entire population of northern Gaza, over a million people, to flee to the south of the Strip within 24 hours. The Office of the United Nations Secretary General says it considers it impossible, quote-unquote, for such a movement to take place without devastating humanitarian consequences and appeals for the order to be rescinded. Israeli troops are massing on the Gaza border, and a ground invasion seems imminent following a presumed escalation of the bombardment. The genocidal rhetoric is more blatant than ever. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said October 9th, quote, We are fighting human animals, and we act accordingly. We are imposing a complete siege on Gaza. There will be no electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. Everything will be closed. End quote. Note the conflation of the civilian population of Gaza in this statement with the Hamas commandos who carried out last weekend's attack. Similar conflation was heard from the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Gilad Erdan, who said today, October 13th, Hamas was democratically elected by the people of Gaza. We shouldn't forget this. Don't look away, quote, unquote. Israeli President Isaac Herzog similarly said at a press conference today, quote, it is an entire nation out there that is responsible. It is not true, this rhetoric about civilians not being aware, not involved. It's absolutely not true, end quote. When questioned by a reporter, he backpedaled a little and said that this was not intended to justify targeting civilians, but that was absolutely the implication of his remarks. There's no other point in saying it. Israeli Army Chief of Staff Herzi Halevi has vowed that the Gaza Strip, quote, will never be the same again, unquote. What does that imply? Very interestingly, a spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces 
urged American Jews in a webcast with APAC, the Israel lobby, today, October 13th, to stick with Israel in its new war, even when, quote, the going gets ugly and the scenes out of Gaza will be hard to stomach, unquote. It is important to keep in mind that for the people of Gaza, this can only appear as a new Nakba, or disaster, as the Palestinians call the mass uprooting of their people by the nascent Zionist armies in the War of 1948. And the population of Gaza are overwhelmingly survivors or descendants of survivors of the original Nakba, who were cleansed from their homes in what is today southern Israel, and now appear to face being cleansed a second time. And the United States is standing behind all of this, offering Israel military aid and moral support with only the weakest requisite risible caveats about adhering to international law. This is a genocide announced and foretold. As we have been documenting on this podcast, Israel has been approaching a genocidal threshold for many years and appears now to be crossing that threshold. Since the Israeli so-called disengagement from Gaza, the end of the actual land occupation in 2005, to be shortly replaced with a siege of the territory from the outside, there have been four major bombing campaigns of the territory, each time ostensibly in response to Hamas or other militant groups launching rockets at Israel from the Strip, but the differential in casualties speaks to the grossly asymmetrical nature of this conflict. 2008 saw Operation Cast Lead, with 13 Israeli soldiers killed to 1,400 mostly civilian Palestinians killed. In 2012, there was Operation Pillar of Defense, with four Israeli civilians and two soldiers killed, compared to 100 Palestinian civilians and some 60 militants. In 2014, there was Operation Protective Edge, with 67 Israeli soldiers and six civilians killed, compared to some 2,300 Palestinians, overwhelmingly civilians. And in 2021, Operation Guardian of the Walls, with 14 Israeli civilians and one soldier killed, to 250 Palestinians, about half civilians. And between these massive bombing campaigns, there have been ongoing intermittent airstrikes. This time around, in what Israel is calling Operation Iron Swords, launched in response to the much more ambitious and atrocious Hamas attacks by both rocket and ground incursions that were touted as Operation Al-Aqsa Flood 
The death toll is a little more symmetrical, with some 1,300 Israeli dead to 1,800 Palestinians, probably mostly civilians on both sides. Throughout this period, the genocidal rhetoric from Israeli officialdom has been escalating with euphemisms such as transfer of the Palestinian population into Jordan, increasingly being replaced by more blatant calls to expel the Arab enemy, quote, unquote. And now Israel appears to be on the very cusp of actually crossing the genocidal threshold. This urgently demands uncompromising vocal protest from progressive people all over the world, most especially those of us in the United States, whose tax dollars fund the Israeli Defense Forces or Israeli Occupation Forces, as they are more accurately rendered, and most especially those of us with Jewish surnames in whose interest Israel purports to act. Now, before I get to the principal thing I want to discuss, it is, alas, necessary to get a preliminary point out of the way. You would hope it would not be necessary to say this, but it is. It is practically inevitable that for saying what I have to say, I will be accused by Israel supporters of supporting terror and supporting Hamas. And additionally, there exist extremely deluded or morally monstrous elements of the supposed political left who really are rallying around Hamas. So, just to get it out of the way, Hamas is a reactionary authoritarian movement, and the criminal tactics we just witnessed in its so-called Al-Aqsa flood are the indefensible tactics of a reactionary authoritarian movement. You are shooting yourself in the foot if you make excuses for hostage-taking and massacre of unarmed civilians which allows Israel to point out accurately that we just witnessed the biggest mass killing of Jews since World War II. One of the reasons I've been so enthused about the Zapatistas all these years is that the very first thing they said in their first communique when they announced their war on the Mexican state on January 1st, 1994, is that they intended to respect the Geneva Conventions and international law. Despite centuries of harsh oppression of the Maya indigenous people of southern Mexico, their leadership still had enough basic humanity and tactical astuteness to do that. And they have adhered to that commitment in the intervening generation. And true, they haven't overthrown the Mexican state, as they set out to do in 1994, 
but they are still holding on to their autonomous liberated territories in Chiapas, which is a considerable victory. And indeed, lest we forget a very critical point here, there is an organized, unarmed Palestinian civil resistance in the village land committees on the West Bank, engaging an ongoing daily resistance that does not make the headlines the way spectacular terrorist attacks do. I will also note reports that emerged about a decade ago of a dissident youth group within Gaza that issued a manifesto entitled Gaza Youth Breaks Out, which opened, very hardeningly, quote, Fuck Hamas. Fuck Israel. Fuck Fatah. Fuck the UN. Fuck the USA. We, the youth in Gaza, are so fed up with Israel, Hamas, the occupation, the violations of human rights, and the indifference of the international community. We want to scream and break this wall of silence, injustice, and indifference, like the Israeli F-16s breaking the wall of sound. End quote. Much more in that vein. You can Google that up at Gaza Youth Breaks Out, G-Y-B-O. I hope that some of these young people are still around and keeping the flame alive and have not succumbed either to Hamas repression or Israeli airstrikes. All that said, it is incumbent upon us to understand how the situation got to the point of the kind of mass reprisal we just witnessed, and an extremist movement like Hamas gaining some kind of mass support base, quite obviously. Once again, contrary to the French saying, to understand all is not to forgive all, and to eschew understanding as weakness is to embrace ignorance and the totalitarian doctrine that, as someone once put it, ignorance is strength. Additionally, and this will be a bitter pill for some of you to swallow, but the violence of the occupied and oppressed, even when resorting to indefensible tactics, is not to be judged the same way as the violence of the occupiers and oppressors. Mind you, I am not saying not to be judged. I'm saying not to be judged the same way. Hamas does not get a blank check for attacks on civilians, but the root violence is that of the long ongoing siege of Gaza, the even longer illegal occupation and colonization of the West Bank, now escalating to undisguised annexationism and the system of internal apartheid within the borders of Israel, with that some 20% of the population, which is Palestinian, relegated to second-class citizenship and systematically discriminated against. And no condemnation of the Hamas attacks 
that fails to recognize and indeed to emphasize that is legitimate. I'm going to quote the Israeli commentator Haggai Matar in a piece this week in the independent and progressive 972 magazine, which we ran on the Counter Vortex website, entitled Gaza's Shock Attack. Will it unveil the context? Matar writes, quote, Contrary to what many Israelis are saying, this is not a unilateral or unprovoked attack. The dread Israelis are feeling right now is a sliver of what Palestinians have experienced on a daily basis under the decades-long military regime in the West Bank and under the siege and repeated assaults on Gaza. In recent months, hundreds of thousands of Israelis have been marching for democracy and equality across the country, with many even saying they would refuse military service because of this government's authoritarian trend. What those protesters and reserve soldiers need to understand, especially today, as many of them announce that they will halt their protest to join the war with Gaza, is that Palestinians have been struggling for those same demands for decades, facing an Israel that is to them already and always has been completely authoritarian. End quote. Now, the first thing I need to call out, now that the preliminaries are out of the way, is how Backing the occupiers and annexationists in Israel-Palestine undermines Biden's moral position regarding Ukraine. I'm going to note a few phrases from Biden's October 10th press conference at the White House in which he invoked, quote, the bloody hand of the terrorist organization Hamas which he termed sheer evil, quote, unquote. Yet his government is now about to augment the bloody hand of the Israeli occupation forces, who, as I contend, ultimately represent a greater evil. He said, quote, We stand with Israel, uphold the laws of war adding that it matters, there's a difference, end quote, meaning between the IDF operating legally and Hamas intentionally targeting civilians. Contrast this with statements from human rights groups. I will note two from Amnesty International this week, October 13th. Appalling Gaza evacuation order must be rescinded by Israel immediately. October 12th, Israel must lift illegal and inhumane blockade on Gaza as power plant runs out of fuel. Quote, the shutdown of Gaza's only power plant will exacerbate an already desperate humanitarian crisis for more than 2.2 million people trapped in the Gaza Strip amid a massive bombing campaign by Israel that has killed at least 1,350 people, and injured more than 6,000 people, end quote. The figures are actually higher now, just 24 hours later, considerably higher. 
And I will note that this supposed IDF legality is even more transparent as Israeli officialdom now explicitly speaks of revenge. So the pretense that the civilian casualties are mere collateral damage, itself a repugnant phrase, is now actually being dropped. And it was sheer hypocrisy to begin with. Biden also said, quote, the United States has Israel's back to make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself, end quote. But is it democratic? And can it be Jewish and democratic when 20% of the population is not Jewish? This internal contradiction virtually mandates the system of internal apartheid in Israel, not to mention the external occupation of the West Bank, again now escalating to actual annexation, and the ongoing siege and spasmodic bombardments on Gaza. Returning to Biden, quote, For 75 years, Israel has stood as the only guarantor of security of Jewish people around the world so that the atrocities of the past can never happen again, end quote. To this, I respond, bosh. Israel makes the world more dangerous for me as a Jew and makes it more likely that the atrocities of the past will happen again. And this is unambiguously demonstrated by the fact that there are, at this moment, police patrols outside practically every synagogue in my city, New York. They weren't there a week ago. The threat to Jews here in New York and the diaspora is heightened, not diminished, by the existence of a Jewish state in historic Palestine, and especially by the atrocious actions now being undertaken in defense of that state. I am not saying, once again, heading off the inevitable disingenuous responses, that the threat to Jews is due entirely to the existence of the state of Israel. Obviously, that would be a completely ahistorical contention. On the contrary, the existence of the state of Israel is a flawed and ultimately counterproductive response to the centuries of ongoing threat to Jews in the diaspora, as is obvious to anyone who knows the history. Nor am I saying that attacks on Jewish targets here in New York or Paris or Tunisia or anywhere else are in any way justified by anything that Israel is doing. So please don't even bother going there. I said exactly what I meant to say. The threat to Jews here in New York and the diaspora is heightened, not diminished, by the existence of a Jewish state in historic Palestine. And unfortunately, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, too, 
has publicly thrown in his lot with Israel in this conflict. Mostly, I assume, because of the global alliances and needing to stay in the good graces of Washington and the West. And he is also, I submit, in the long run, dangerously undermining his own position and that of Ukraine. Despite initial misgivings that I quickly got over as Russian crimes against humanity mounted, I support military aid to Ukraine because Russia is an illegal, predatory, annexationist power on Ukrainian territory. I oppose military aid to Israel because Israel is an illegal, predatory, annexationist power on Palestinian territory. Now, nothing Ukraine has done is remotely analogous to this Operation Al-Aqsa flood. Russia's invasion really was unprovoked, Kremlin propaganda to the contrary notwithstanding, but Russia's special military operation is clearly analogous to Israel's Operation Swords of Iron. And world outrage at Russian atrocities has positioned Zelensky very well in terms of outside aid and sympathy. And my fear is that in the coming days and weeks, this contradiction will become more and more inescapably evident, undermining the moral position of Ukraine. But also, of course, I must decry how the tankies, those elements of the supposed political left who support the Russian tanks in Ukraine, merely reverse the double standard. Just go on to Twitter, or X as it is now called, and you can see Medea Benjamin, Aaron Mate, Danny Haifang, and the rest of that predictable crowd getting on their high horse about Israeli war crimes when they've been doing nothing but making excuses for, if not avidly cheering on, equivalent and greater crimes by Russia. And they are similarly muddying the moral waters. A little on how this has been playing out here in New York. Governor Kathy Hochul condemned last weekend's pro-Palestine rally in Times Square calling it, quote, abhorrent and morally repugnant, unquote. And I hate to agree with her. I can't tell you how much I hate to agree with her. But that rally on October 8th was organized by the worst tanky factions, most prominently the poorly named Answer for Act Now to stop war and end racism. Better rendered, act now to support war and encourage racism. Hochul was right for the wrong reason. The rally was morally repugnant because the organizers effectively support occupation, annexation, and crimes against humanity in Ukraine. 
and therefore lack the moral authority to oppose those same things in Palestine. But meanwhile, being bashed by Hochul gives these moral scum a cachet that will result in more neophyte leftists being indoctrinated in the pro-Kremlin position. Now, again, happily, the contradiction does seem to be getting a little too blatant for some. The uh, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, which has been sort of flirting with the tanky position, now shows signs of breaking ranks. An account on Politico notes that New York DSA failed to show up at the rally and quotes one of the organizers, one Eugene Perrier of Answer, implicitly dissing them, quote, I think ultimately the only reason you would not be here is you want to stand on the opposite side of justice. Anyone who did not want to be here would be someone who did not want to stand up for justice, end quote. No, Eugene, per year. That's not the only reason. I'm not with DSA, but speaking for myself, I did not join your rally because answer objectively supports occupation, annexation, and war crimes in Ukraine, and therefore has no moral authority to oppose those things in Palestine or to pretend to. Get it? And I am heartened by the apparent decision of DSA to stay away from your toxic, hypocritical rally. I await a demonstration called by groups with better politics. I await an activist response from Adala, New York, the campaign for the boycott of Israel, Jewish Voice for Peace, War Resisters League. Let me know when your rally is. I will be there, comrades. Another hypocrite I'll call out is Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who decried the Israeli bombardment of Gaza as a massacre days after his warplanes carried out airstrikes on Rojava, the Kurdish-controlled territory in northern Syria, killing numerous civilians with local Kurdish authorities saying schools and hospitals were struck. But the really ominous question is when will it become too much of a contradiction for the West? Opposing those who destroyed Mariupol, but actively, morally, materially supporting the destroyers of Gaza. When will this mean a tipping point in favor of those far-right politicians, from the MAGA heads in our Congress to Le Pen in France and the ruling parties in Hungary and Slovakia, who support an aid cutoff to Ukraine. And not only could this moral dissonance weaken Ukraine's position, but the two conflicts could merge to disastrous consequences. Hezbollah in Lebanon has been firing missiles into Israel, and Israel has responded with airstrikes on presumed Hezbollah or Iranian positions in Syria, tempting a response from Iran. If Iran gets involved, 
Putin will have to decide whether or not to take Iran's side and betray his buddy Bibi Netanyahu. Up till now, the two of them have been, on a personal basis, thick as thieves, despite Israel's lukewarm, half-hearted support for Ukraine. But if Putin does throw in his lot with Iran, that certainly raises the stakes, especially with the U.S. now sending an aircraft carrier group to the eastern Mediterranean, which means if Iran gets involved on the side of Hamas, the U.S. could come into conflict with Iran, and if Russia gets involved on the side of Iran, the U.S. could come into conflict with Russia, which could really ignite global kablooey and escalate to the unthinkable. And mind you, even if Israel is successful, if we may use that word, and Gaza is pacified and reoccupied, then what? An endless occupation and insurgency? Which means that there will be ongoing opportunities for escalation to the unthinkable. And finally, to anticipate the other disingenuous question that's going to be thrown at me, what's your solution, Weinberg? Well, for starters, I reject the notion that having a solution is a prerequisite for the right to protest. As with Ukraine, it is difficult indeed to see a good resolution here. That does not justify silence or inaction. But okay, I'll take a shot at it. Most immediately, we must support the calls of the United Nations for a humanitarian ceasefire, even if those calls are being hypocritically advanced by Russia at this moment for its own cynical purposes, but also by the Palestinian UN envoy Riyad Mansour. As a next step, I will quote the words of Mustafa Barghouti of the Palestinian National Initiative to the PBS NewsHour on October 11th. Quote, I'm calling for a peaceful resolution. That's why I say now we should move in the direction of immediate ceasefire, de-escalation, immediately release of all Israeli prisoners in Gaza in exchange for the releasing of Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails, who number 5,300, including some people who have been in jail for no less than 44 years. So, release prisoners, exchange prisoners, have a ceasefire, stop this madness that is going to happen, and let's open a road for peace and for a resolution by ending the occupation and allowing us and the Israelis to coexist and live in peace, end quote. Okay, I anticipate that some will object to Barghouti referring to the Israeli hostages held by Hamas as prisoners. But it should be pointed out that many of the Palestinian prisoners held by Israel have not been charged with anything, but are being held indefinitely under what is called 
administrative detention. So they can also be viewed effectively as hostages. And I echo Bargudi's call for their immediate release. And in terms of broad outlines for a more permanent settlement, I think we should demand that Israel withdraw to its legal borders, lift the siege on Gaza, and far more ambitiously, dismantle the system of internal apartheid and become a secular state. Now, of course, these demands will be intransigently resisted by the country's political establishment. And secondly, they don't address the even more intractable dilemma of justice for the some two million Palestinian refugees, many of whom harbor hopes of returning to villages that were bulldozed generations ago. That is a very difficult question, but there has to be some justice for the 1948 refugees and their descendants arrived at with their participation. And finally, I acknowledge such a solution will likewise be resisted by the rejectionist elements on the Palestinian side, whose position has been strengthened by the generations of Israeli intransigence. So it's important for us peace activists not to be glib, to quote the great African revolutionary Amalkar Cabral, tell no lies, claim no easy victories. And it is also why I support BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions on Israel as a means of non-violent pressure and a cutoff of U.S. aid to Israel. Yes, even now, exactly as I support a complete embargo on Russia. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the Countervortex. Join the resistance. And rant on you next time.